Maybe Morgan dressed like Wolverine Maybe Dave ate his way out of trouble Maybe Dustin's diorama came in last Maybe Morgan tunneled out of jail Maybe Dustin ran for council member Maybe Dave found himself horribly miscast Find out what happened Yes, find out what happened Since when last we left our Welcome to When Last We Left Our Podcast, a bi-weekly storytelling podcast hosted by me, Morgan Pielli. Me, Dave Worth. And me, Death Diodato. Each week we tell true life stories inspired by the events that happened to us since the last time we recorded this podcast. When last we left our podcast, Dave took the stairs, Dustin was haunted, and Morgan was pregnant. This week, Dave gets distracted, Dustin tries to relive former glory, and Morgan deals with his anxiety. All right. So everyone have a good week? Yeah. Everyone have a good two weeks? Yeah, you know Perfect. how you know how I do. Yeah, always having good weeks. Always just chilling. Yeah, that's and how I. That's how I roll. That's how you roll. Yeah, yeah. On on I, your roller skates, just everywhere. I I was around. literally sick up until also on your roller skates. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Should not be up roller until skating. Until the moment diarrhea. we recorded this podcast, I have been ill. Right, uh, Dave. Dave actually came over, and we watched uh, the beginning of Dead Seven, the movie uh, starring boy bands. Uh, as a western me, yeah you told me an interesting thing about this this yeah. zombie movie starring boy bands is that it was a yeah that it was a western <laughs> it's a western for one thing yeah and that they don't they do play not play themselves as boy right bands. right right um and so that immediately made his wife sick here's, and then it made him here's sick. the elevator pitch on that movie i uh nick carter want to make a movie starring all my boy band friends uh fighting zombies and whoever's in the elevator with him goes, yes, here, here is a suitcase of money. <laughs> because Nick Carter does not mention that nobody, uh, none of his boy band friends are going to be playing boy band members. It was infuriating. <laughs> right. Do any of them at least get killed off or do they all survive? I we don't know. We didn't we, make it that far. We didn't make it that okay, far. Right. I'm just saying. I feel like if yeah. this is a truly a vanity project, they all have one badass moment. Right. And none of them died. If, if Joey Fatone is in a movie, I want him to play Joey Fatone yeah, and yeah. no that, one else. That's it's, the moment uh, on on every episode of um, uh, <laughs> of Family Feud where I go, yay! <laughs> <laughs> when Joey Fatone goes, I'm Joey Fatone, and you're <laughs> yes, and now you are. Steve Harvey's here, <laughs> and that I go, yay! It's Joey right. Fatone, right? Uh, there isn't a movie that has been made that I wouldn't want Joey Fatone <laughs> to be in. So don't get me wrong. Yeah. Sunshine like, would have benefited from Joey Fatone. Oh yeah. God. Her would have benefited from Joey Saving Fatone. Saving Private Ryan. Would have benefited. <laughs> yeah. Sphere could only have been helped by Joey Fatone. Right. But if he's playing some, uh, if he's playing I a want, character, I don't I want, want him at all. Joey Fatone to play the lawnmower man <laughs> as Joey Fatone. I want that. I think he'd make a great Augustus Scrim in the Phantasm movies, but as Joey Fatone, yeah. maybe on stilts. As as <laughs> as Joey Fatone, Joey Fatone as Buckaroo Banzai, <laughs> as as played by Joey Fatone. I'm on board. I'm in for for whatever. Do that next time. Whatever boy bands boy of the band world movie guys made that horrible horrible thing that we watched that made my wife sick that maybe, made me sick maybe the members of spice girls will hear this and the next spice world movie will be a spice zombie world movie oh my god that'd be amazing right? i would, watch, yeah, I would, that. Super I see would that. watch nothing but that and if tattoo showed up uh, uh i think he passed tattoo tattoo is a, that uh uh that uh russian uh uh, uh supposedly lesbian couple 
that were oh uh, I thought you were talking about from the love boat no 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 yeah, I mean from Fantasy see, Island yeah no, that's no, no. A, yeah T A T A T U oh yeah no I'm all about that yeah, yeah. If although they, I would if be happy if that. Hervé Villachayez also showed up in this movie oh, sure. as himself somehow uh, oh yeah no if tattoo uh, yeah I'm gonna watch anything isn't tattoos he like movie. dead well that's I mean, what that was my point if yeah it's a zombie movie after all that's true. <laughs> Do you want right. to get into our first story? Let's yeah, let's do. go right to that. All right, so that's my story. Um, <laughs> uh, I, uh, a very good friend of mine, and I had not uh, been able to get together for about three months. Um, and we both live in New York, but uh, we just had a terrible time scheduling it, in large part because uh, uh, one or both of our lives kept intervening. Uh, stuff kept piling up. And, and uh, so by the time we met up uh we kind of knew that we'd be talking all about a lot of stuff namely mu- a bunch of the stuff that had kept us from getting together um so i knew going into it would be kind of a weighty conversation um uh but i was looking forward to meeting my friend unfortunately we decided to get together at the uh the single most distracting point in the universe apparently um which was a coffee place on the Lower East Side. And already we had made one poor decision, which was that we went to the Lower East Side because um, you basically have two uh, uh, personality types on the Lower East Side. There's um, uh, gorgeous and insane. Uh, Everybody on the Lower East Side looks like they either just uh, rolled out of an American apparel orgy or like they uh, are, are dressed primarily with trash bags. Um, I'm, I'm picturing uh, people from the Lower East Side like listening to this story and being like, what's he going to say? Oh, okay, yes, I'm one of the gorgeous people. Okay. <laughs> shuffle, shuffle of bags. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we sat down in this cafe, and immediately I was like, well, I'm too ugly to be here. Um, uh, and I, uh, I was very distracted by all the beautiful people because I'm a heterosexual male, but also... Um, very much concerned that the cops were going to get called on me and a local ugliness statute <laughs> would be, uh, would be brought against me. Um, but that didn't happen. Uh, and, and that'd be your third strike, right? Yeah. Oh, I've yeah. been ugly <laughs> twice before. And this time they would have sent me away to uh, ugly Island. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, that didn't I happen. I want to make a Staten Island joke. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm not going to. <laughs> Pull the trigger, man. <laughs> um, uh, so anyway, uh, we sit down in this place. It's it's a standard coffee shop, um, uh, which means it's packed um, and, and that every uh, available surface is a table because coffee shops make their margins on, on volume, um, especially when everything costs so much as it does on the Lower East Side. Everybody's gorgeous or crazy, and there is a crazy person as well in the cafe. Me and my me and my friend are starting to talk about you know like what's been happening and uh, you know what's going on with our families, which has been a lot. And in the corner of my vision, there's a woman who looks like she's sixty ish, seventy ish, but she could also be forty ish, you know. Uh, uh, and and uh, she's dressed in an orange bodysuit, uh, a red uh, micro skirt, and um, uh, 
a, a, a hoodie that says Paris with an exclamation point and a floppy hat. And she's dancing in the middle of the cafe. There's not really music playing. <laughs> she's just dancing. She have like headphones on or is nope. she just... Nope, she doesn't. And she wanders up to the baristas every so often and she mutters something at them and they literally don't look up at her at all. So I can see that out of the corner of my eye, but uh, I, I, I get back into the conversation. We're talking along and all of a sudden that woman is standing at our table right next to us, looking down at us. And we both look up at her and she says, how's my hair? And we both go, fine, by which we meant, don't kill us. And also, it's covered in a floppy hat. You couldn't see her hair. Uh, and she dances away. So we get back into our conversation. We're talking a bit more about, uh, you know, our families are, we're both at the age now where our families are getting smaller at one end and larger at another you know people are having kids but also the older generation is starting to pass away and how sad and weird all that is and and what it means that both of us don't yet have kids and don't know what our future prospects are there and that's when a friend of my friend walks into the place and puts her hand on my friend's shoulder i had never met this person before and my friend thought that this person was the crazy person. So my friend got really tense, and I locked in on my friend getting really tense, and her friend locked in on the fact that somehow she had made my friend tense. But no one could say, there's a crazy person right behind you, so that's what happened. Because I didn't know why my friend was tense, I just knew she was tense. And my friend couldn't say, there's a crazy person behind me. (laughs) So for about 10 seconds... Everybody just spoke over each other real loudly and tried to make the awkwardness okay, (laughs) which just made it much more awkward. And no one had done anything wrong. Everybody was behaving perfectly nicely and being really super kind, but also really loud. And then her friend was like, I'm going to go charge my phone. Bye. And turned around and walked away. So that was super weird. So then we get back into our conversation. And and your friend hadn't noticed that this was her friend at this point? Oh, no. She, by that point, she had caught on to the fact that this was her friend. Oh, but, but it was already like, awkward. It was but she had already had that adrenaline. Like, and she was yeah, like yeah. feeling weird. And she couldn't articulate why because the crazy person is like three feet away. Right, right. So uh, we get back into our conversation. We're talking about now, you know, like our parents as they age and what the dysfunction of our families has been in the past and what that means for the families as they, you know, evolve over time. Um, and, uh, it's, it's about at that point that the door flies open and I'm seated right next to the door. The door flies open. And and it's Joey Fatone. And it's Joey (laughs) Fatone. No, um, it is, uh, it is 300 pounds of, uh, of man. Um, uh, about mm, six feet tall, uh, probably 45 years old. None of his clothes fit, uh, but they all f- don't fit differently. His shirt is way too small and his pants are way too big. Um, and he's dragging a rolling suitcase that he has mounted on a hand truck because all of the wheels have broken off the rolling suitcase. 
the rolling suitcase, all of the uh, uh, zippers have also broken off. So he's got it closed with cable ties and bungee cords. Just so I can picture this properly, because the way you phrased it was the door flies open. Yeah. Like, did he, like, kick the door in, or was it just, like, the door open? No, he pushes the door, like, wide open and, like, like starts shuffling in. So to make his presence known. Uh, more, I would say that he didn't know what his presence was. Right. Okay. Like he had no sort of sense of him, of his like bigness or like anything like that. Um, he makes a direct beeline for the bulletin board. You know, there's a cork board in every, uh, fucking coffee shop where like the community can put up stuff because this is a coffee, coffee shop in Lower East Side. Like I said, everything's a table. So, uh, there's like six tables around it. He pull and they're all, you know, they all have people who just left the American Apparel orgy sitting there, uh, oblivious to these people. He pulls everything off of the corkboard and throws it on those tables. And you see all these people sort of looking at him like, you know, it's, I'm just going to let him do that. Um, and uh, he starts taking flyers and posters out of his busted ass bag and what becomes clear is that this is his job like he goes people give him money to put up their flyers and shit but all of the imprecision of his dress and manner was countered by the precision with which he put up his flyers because the guy was the fucking michelangelo of that fucking job it took him 15 minutes to fill a two foot by three foot cork board Several times he would put up a flyer and then take it down, move it over an inch. A couple times he put up a flyer, took all the pushpins out, and just realigned the pushpins so that they were more aesthetically pleasing to him. When he was done, he took a picture of it (laughs) (laughs) and then shuffled out. So for like those 15 minutes, I did not get a lot of conversing done. Neither of us did. We were both like, what the fuck is happening? Finally, we get back into our conversation. We're talking about you know, what the future holds. And then we're getting into weightier topics of like, why are we even doing what we're doing? We're both like struggling comedians. What is, what a, as we examine 40, what does any of this mean, right? We're starting to break that down a bit. Um, and that's when, uh, when Sarah walks into the coffee shop. I can't watch uh, the television show Girls. Um, it's not that it's a bad show. I think it's a good show. It's very well written um, and, and, and very good at what it does. Unfortunately, what it does is show everyone in their 20s, mid-20s, very accurately. And that gives me post-traumatic stress syndrome because... I was an asshole in my mid-twenties. Everybody else was, too. And I know Sarah, that's not a real name, from that era of my life. I had not seen her in close to 15 years. Um, she was somebody I knew from college, and she had moved to the city around the same time I did, And I'd had a crush on her, um, and we hung out a lot and got high together, as you do, and then she wound up living in my apartment 
without paying any rent for about a month because she had started fucking my roommate about a week before she got evicted from her apartment and being in her mid-20s had the thought, oh, the solution to this is to live in the apartment with the guy who I'm having sex with but not in relationship with, as well as the guy who has a crush on me. It went about as well as you can imagine, um, and I don't, I don't bear her any ill will about it because I have as much implication in any of this as anyone else. Everybody in their mid-20s is a fucking idiot. Um, but I didn't ever want to see her again because in the same way that girls give me post-traumatic stress, being around people from that era of my existence sometimes does as well. So I turned to my friend. I knew knew that Sarah hadn't yet seen me. And if she did, she might not have recognized me anyway because my physical appearance has changed a lot since then. Um, But I turned to my friend and I said, hey, do you want to go get dinner? And she looked a little surprised because I was almost mid-sentence on something weighty and then I just switched gears. And she went, yeah, okay. Okay. And we left, and we left the most uh, distracting coffee place in the world and walked down the street to continue our conversation at the most distracting vegan pizza restaurant (laughs) in the entire world. So that's what happened to me. Did you ever get to learn about each other? Uh, Me and my friend? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we go way back, so we... We know no, him. I mean, like, do you, you, you feel like you successfully eventually caught up. Yeah, I, I feel like it took us about six hours, where under right. normal circumstances would have taken about 30 minutes. Is your friend mm-hmm. familiar with the situation with Sarah and that whole story? Uh, I don't actually know that I ever told her that. About okay. That. Um, Did you tell her at the most distracting vegan pizza place? I told her. Uh, the reason I wanted to leave, by the way, is that somebody walked in that I didn't want to see. No, oh, uh, fair And enough. I may have given her some details beyond that. Okay. Yeah. So that's what happened to me. That's an eventful evening. Yeah, I think so. I made I made up a whole story about it. Yay! <laughs> the gentleman with the corkboard reminds me a lot. I don't know if either of you are familiar with the... Um, there's an opera singing panhandler on a bunch of trains. He's oh. a very large man, and he's also dressed in a very disorganized fashion. And... He'll come on the train like this and start saying his story and how he really needs some money. And he, he sing-talks every line, getting higher and lower as he does his way down the train. He's very, I don't know that guy at very all. Very genial and entertaining. Yeah, once you've seen him, you will not forget him. He's, okay. Um, but I've seen him a bunch of times, hmm. usually on the, uh, the yellow line. All right. I've never seen that guy. But that's what I thought of when you described, because he's a, a very large gentleman who has a very large presence and just kind of like bursts into your train car. Right. <laughs> I guess it's my turn. I guess so. Uh, so, I am very good at ping pong. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. I was very good at ping pong. In my heyday, I like I was one of those people who would like stand far back from the table <laughs> and swing like full speed. I would sweat. I like I. Uh, it it meant a lot to me. Uh, my friend Ian and I played, I would say, two to three hours a day, four to five days a week. Wow. 
Yes. Um, we did not have a lot going on in junior high school and high school. I will fully admit that. <laughs> sure. We played way too much ping pong for our own good. We, we got so bored that we would occasionally try and play it with non-traditional ping pong paddles. So uh, we spent the whole day playing with just calculators. <laughs> uh, one day playing with just uh, floor tiles. Okay. Wow. <laughs> like whatever kind of ridiculous thing we could think of, we would play with. And, uh, and we could still play well uh for full disclosure in the beginning uh, before we started recording i mentioned that i was good at ping pong and morgan said i'm good at ping pong too and my immediate reaction was like fuck you <laughs> you're not as yeah, good at ping pong as i am yeah i could hear your voice was no you're not yeah i'm good at ping pong right you you just come in occasionally and play ping pong yeah uh admit yes that <laughs> that that is what i was trying to get across mm-hmm. um and the thing is, uh, with my loss of vision, um, you you slowly lose things over time that you used to be able to do. Um, you know, I lose the ability to walk alone at night. I lose the ability to go downstairs and all that. And none of those things are important parts of defining me as much as ping pong is. <laughs> if there's one thing that I took pride in in my youth, like you know when like you're not really confident about anything, but like there's like one thing where you're like, no, nah, fucking bring it, dude. It was ping pong. So uh, I value that skill very highly. For me in my youth, that was eating. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I could eat. <laughs> I could eat any. I could out eat anybody. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm joking. I was sad. <laughs> But you, cool. but you still were accomplished in that. Yeah, no. I, I, I was very I, accomplished in sadness. Right. I played that level of ping pong because no one else would talk to us. Yeah. Like my friend Ian and I. So we, what else were we to do? So we developed a skill uh, that we could take on. And uh, my work decided that we were going to do a group outing at a place called Spin, which is a local ping pong place uh, on 23rd Street owned by uh, Susan Sarandon um, and Judah Freelander. Really? Uh, That's an odd coupling. Yes, it is. Uh, well, they did play Lovers on 30 Rock. Exactly. Mm. Where they discovered their love of ping pong. I'm assuming huh. it all adds up. I guess. Uh, so when I heard that we were doing that, I was met with equal parts excitement and equal parts terror because uh, I wanted to crush everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but what if I couldn't crush everybody? Mm. You know, like... What would that mean? Because I'd only really played one other time or a couple of other times since I started my vision loss. Mm-hmm. And one was on a cruise ship and it was like the boat was swaying and uh, it was like way too bright and it was a whole thing. And I lost to a couple of teenagers and it really pissed me off. Uh, and another time I was playing against a friend who was very, very, very good in the darkest bar that I've ever seen in my life. And I had seven game points and I fucked it up. But I knew that I could have beat him. So... uh we did the work thing. Um, and we went in there uh, and I was like so paranoid that I didn't bring my cane first off. And I was just like, all right, like I, I have like maybe I can will my vision into being better during this because of my love of this game. Um, and we opened the door and I immediately was like, this was a huge mistake <laughs> because it, uh, in order to get there, you have to go downstairs into the basement where there are no lights at all. So the whole process started with complete and total pitch blackness and me having no concept of where the stairs were. Uh, 
and I made it down to the st- bottom of the stairs, uh, stepped into the place, looked to my right, Judah Freelander standing right there <laughs> <laughs> playing ping pong. And I was like, great, the fucking guy who owns this place, <laughs> who's famous, is now going to see me like shit the bed playing ping pong. Um, like, it's like, no, I can do this. And if I were 17, I think there's a, at least 40% chance that I would have been like, can I get, can I get winner? Like, <laughs> but uh, like I, I didn't know where I stood mm-hmm. in the hierarchy anymore because I hadn't played. Uh, so we had rented three tables. One that was like decently lit and two that were well lit. Like they, they are aware of the light necessary to play ping pong. Like I admired, like most of the time if you go play like pool or something like that, it's like super crazy dark and they don't give a shit. Like, this place was well-lit enough, but it was, like, well-lit around the table and then drop off mm-hmm. into complete blackness. Um, so there was one that was well-lit, and there were two that were, like, kind of well-lit. Um, so it was kind of, like, the, the moment of truth. And my friend Lou and I started playing on the well-lit table. Uh, and, like, it felt really good for, like, four seconds. And then um, I became very aware of how everything had changed. You know, um, and I, I realized that I had to play exclusively by instinct and not where I could see the ball going. And what would happen would be that because he is, um, he had played and he wasn't bad, but he wasn't good either. Uh, but he would hit the ball too slow and actually hitting the ball slow, like made it harder for me because I had time to lose it. You know what I mean? Like if it was yeah. going at a quick pace that I would just kind of know where it was going and like swing in that direction. Um, so, uh, you know, I was playing on my table and uh, I could see the other two tables that were going. Um, and I won, I beat him, uh, in, in the first game, but I could see the other people were like playing better on the other tables. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take a break so I can scout. You know, and I was like, I'm, I knew in my head, I'm taking this way too seriously. Like I'm taking it like, like it's not fair, you know, like, because everybody else is like, oh, this is silly. And I was like, no, this is real. Like this is, (laughs) you know, um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to work my way up the ladder of people here. So I focused on the folks who were fucking atrocious (laughs) and I was like, all right, I'm playing those guys next. Um, and I crushed them. Uh, I played two games where, um, where it was like pretty easy wins because I could serve. The, the strategy that I realized with those folks is just hit it fast, hard in the beginning, and they won't hit it back, and you're good to go. Hmm. Uh, so I pretty much was one every time I had to serve, and you know, won, um, and slowly worked my way up uh, until uh, I played against uh, this guy Ryan from the office and he had had a ping pong table growing up as well. And he is a generally athletic person. So it was all different against him. No matter how hard I hit it, he was like, yeah, here you go. Here you go. Like, and I couldn't tell like if he was, um, being nice or if that was his level of skill. You know what I mean? Uh, are so, you technically his boss or over I am, the yes. org chart? Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. So he had a lot. There was like a lot of ways that he could have just been like merciful. Yeah. Uh, so 
we played and I was winning in the beginning. I was up like 7-1. We were playing to 21 because you don't play to 11. The sign said play to 11, but you don't play to 11. You no. play to 21. Uh, and I was up 7-1 and then slowly started like trying to force it, you know, and like going for shots that I shouldn't have been going for because I was nervous. Uh, and I ended up losing to him. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take a break and we're all going to sit down and like there's a bunch of food coming to the table. Uh, and it was that thing where I could hear people talking, but I was like, well, what, everything you're saying is stupid. We have to play again. Like, <laughs> you know, and I don't mean it exactly like that, but I kind of meant it like that. Like, right. All I could think of was like, I'm not leaving here like this. Like, I'm not, I can't like, I ha- like, I have to win. Like, that's what, it, like, that's my thing. Uh, and, uh, so we, they said like, okay, you know, just so you know, guys know we have 15 minutes left in your reserve table. So if you guys want to, you know, uh, we, we guys want to start wrapping it up. They, and I just sort of very seriously, like, all right, one more time on the show court because the, the well-lit one had bleachers. Like it was the show court. Mm. <laughs> so the 14 people, like the 12 other, there were 14 people in our office. The 12 other people got in the bleachers bleacher and watched them play. Did they know how important this was to you? I think they did. Yes. Um, and like, that was like, I mean, pathetically, like that would have been my dream when I was 17 years old, <laughs> you know, like right. to play ping pong in front of people like that. Uh, so we set it up and I was like, okay, like, I think I'm going to win this. And I started going up and I was up like, you know, like eight, three, like, you know, like 10, you know, 10, five. Uh, and then again, I don't know if I got nervous or if he was just like, yeah, no, this isn't going to happen. Uh, Mm -hmm. and he just started coming back and started coming back and, uh, eventually it got to 2018 Mm. and who's ahead him. Okay. Uh, and I'm serving and I serve it and. Uh, hits it back and off the table. Like, he hits it off the table and I was like, it's 2019. Mm. One more point. One more point and I have this. And, you know, I, you know and I've tied it up. Uh, and it proceeds to be like the longest fucking rally ever. And we're like, it's hitting the net and we're still getting it and I'm running back and forth and it's like, you know... Each additional, like, volley makes it worse for me because I can't see the fucking ball. <laughs> so, like, mm-hmm. each time where, each longer it goes. Um, and the conclusion of this story is that I put it into the net. Oh. And he won Ugh. 22, uh, or 21-19 or whatever it was. or uh, So he's a better... Pingma player now. For now. For now. For now. Um, but you'll rally. Yeah. And and everyone was like, hey, you know, like, for, uh, you know, for everything that you're going through, like, you did great. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, well, thank you. And I know that you're right. But, what you I, know, what like, I, yeah. I don't know the right word. I mean, if it, uh, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to stroke your 
you're, you're, you're I, I don't want to con- be condescending, like because that sounds a little condescending for everything you're going through. You know, mm-hmm. it's meant yeah. in the right in the in the mm-hmm. right way, but it's it's a little, it is a little like, mm, um, uh, or it can be read that way. Um, but what I would say is, it sounded like you were fighting yourself as much as you were fighting him, and if you could get over that, yes. Uh, and get out of your head about it because yeah. I don't. I think that's one thing you're not doing when you're 17, you know. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I'd say is it struck me in thinking about ping pong. I once spent a summer playing ping pong and just getting in big fights with my brother about it. Um, uh, but um, in thinking about ping pong, it does seem like the type of game where if you had a good background in it you know, as, mm-hmm. a, as, a, as a sighted person, the transition to somebody playing it as a blind person would be possible and possibly even, it'd be possible to be even pretty good at it because of the sound the ball makes. Yeah, it, if I was playing against folks who were like, if I had more practice mm-hmm. and I was playing against a more consistent right. player, mm. I think I would have been fine. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was the fact that like, the the ball changed pace so frequently that it really like the struggle there was which is a valid like, tactic though i mean yeah. it's frustrating but like that's totally right. yeah yeah um but like anybody who hit it like sort of mildly back i was like oh, uh. yeah yeah <laughs> don't know where it is anymore but even then once you get like down what the sound of a ball spinning is yeah. versus a ball that's doing you know x y or z like i think you'll have it's so echolocated where the ball is because yeah. of the way it hits the table. Yeah. Um, I, oh, one thing that I thought was really neat about the place was they basically next to the, you never go to a driving range. Yeah. And they have all those like the bucket of golf balls. Yeah. It's a bucket of ping pong balls. So you don't have to get it if it goes oh, off the oh, table. Awesome. Yeah. And a dude just like occasionally walks around with like a little scooper nice. and picks up all the like the random ping pong balls. So you're not like climbing under tables and shit. I bet that's the job that all the busboys are like, we're drawing straws tonight. <laughs> yeah. And the long straw gets to do that instead yeah. of fucking You don't think they up. just have like a, like a vacuum cleaner thing, like a big long tube, and they just walk around with sweeping up all the balls? And the... You know, it, it, it's like a pool skimmer looking kind of oh, thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. That traps the balls as they go around, and then they just drop them into your buckets. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's my story. Nice. All right. So, Morgan. You want to tell us your story? I would, and I am Morgan, and I do have a story. Um, so, as many longtime listeners have noted, I struggle with anxiety. And what? Yeah, I know. That's you guys are making me anxious now that you're calling <laughs> me on it, and that usually manifests in the form of either panic attacks or pooping myself or some delightful hybrid of the two. So, oh, the poop panics. The, the poop worst. panics. Yeah, yeah. It's. You're basically like a squid escaping from a predator. And my <laughs> therapist recently... That's the sound had, of everyone stopping listening to the goodbye, podcast. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Vote for us on iTunes. <laughs> I had suggested that I perhaps look into medication for my, my squidism. Yeah, I suggest you look into medication for that. Yeah. So if you're at the point where you're describing yourself as an... As making squidding. Yeah, yeah please get yeah, headed. Yeah. At the very least, I should look into changing my diet. <laughs> yeah. Although. It's just black. In, in your defense, 
That would be very successful. <laughs> it would. It would it, absolutely work. Right. If you were about to get mugged and you just yeah. turned around and like, like, just ink, shat all yeah, over like them. Ink pooped on somebody, they'd be like, all right, you, yeah. go you ahead. You can have it. Have some of my money. <laughs> You're probably going to need it for the medical bills. Uh, Penn Gillette, by the way, who like is a... Is Man a, named after a thing that has ink in it. Yeah, it's, it's true. Uh, he's a figure I have... Uh, plenty of qualms about. Oh, sure, he's a blowhard. And uh, but both he, that can be good and bad. But he tell he did uh, I, in 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 a book of his I read once he did tell a story that if true I think is great where he was like a hippie tra- like hitchhiking across the country and he um, ran into a guy who was like I'm gonna smear this fucking hippie and the guy was like not back down he was gonna fight him that that day in this diner he was in. Uh, drinking a milkshake and Ben said he was like getting to the point where he's like oh my god this guy's gonna beat me just beat me up there's nothing I can do about it wait I have an idea and he took his milkshake and poured it all over him <laughs> <laughs> and the guy was like oh this hippie queer is crazy I'm out of here <laughs> that's pretty brilliant yeah uh, that must have been terrifying because Penn Jillette is not a small man no alright so uh, wait, we're about oh, five minutes into the yeah. story that I've told 20 seconds of one, 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 please one, one by all thing. means one quick thing uh, I read a story about George Clooney where he had a friend who he wanted to play a prank on. So what he did was, for like a week, every day, he cleaned out the guy's um, cat litter thing or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so the person would think that the cat hadn't pooped. <laughs> and, so and, then, and then he pooped in it on the last day <laughs> to make the guy think that the guy had just saved up all the poop <laughs> into to one giant size poop. I think George Clooney might be crazy. He might be, That's but it's awesome. That's a crazy person comes up with. <laughs> yes, but it's great. I also, I imagine all the way, he got so lucky there, because I imagine all the ways that prank could go wrong, especially because he's George Clooney. If yeah. he gets caught yeah. as George Clooney. One photograph of him squatting over a squatting kitty litter box. Over a kitty litter box. Yeah. Career over. Yeah. Yep, but he didn't. No. But uh, somehow he told the story. He just so. flashed those pearly whites and yeah. charmed the pants back onto himself. <laughs> yeah. So. Reddit, today I, I learned. Thought, I would see a psychologist about this thing, and so I made an appointment um, to go see this woman up in Forest Hills. She was very nice, but very, very scarily Russian. Like her, That's pretty racist. It's super racist. She was very Russian. She had a thick accent. Her office was very cold, and she kept trying to insist that, like, maybe I should close the windows because I don't want you to get cold, but I'm Russian, so I'm used to that, the harsh, cold, cold Russian winters. I'm like, no, I'm, I was raised in New England. It's fine. And there was, like, no light in the office. It was pretty much pitch black. So it was just her sitting across from a desk. Again, a nice person, but she <laughs> couldn't help but being very intimidating. So I'm sitting there trying to tell her my case history about anxiety in the while dark? Get, in the dark, in the cold, <laughs> getting anxious because this woman is just staring perceived daggers at me, even though she's being very nice about all the things she's saying. So we had a long conversation <laughs> where I would, sank further and further into my chair. So you went to a therapist who a you psychologist. felt a psychologist who you felt the whole time was thinking psychiatrist. like Yeah. Sorry. You see you felt the whole time was thinking like Fuck you, you piece of shit. No, because it's weird because she's very nice, but her like her mannerisms were that of like a school marm from a 1980s um, TV uh, TV movie or something. Like just very, very intimidating. Very direct. Very direct. Like she never left the desk. Mm-hmm. She, you know, I was brought in by her assistant. She never got up. She, I, she directed me to a chair. I said it was super, super duper formal. So I'm getting anxious talking about my anxiety with this person. But we agreed to try um, this one medication. And it was a medication I'd had 
about seven years ago when I was having a really bad panic attack. So I was, it was something I'd had before. And I knew to a degree what to expect with side effects. But because the panic attacks had been so bad, this was during the period of my mom dying and the woman I was living with just like completely turning off and being really, really cold and hurtful. And so like I was in such a bad state that I just didn't care about the side effects because anything was better than where I was at that point. So I vaguely remembered what I was in for. Um, so I started the medication a couple of days later. Um, I figured, okay, well, Sunday I've got nothing going on, and then Monday's a pretty easy work day. Um, I don't have anything really stressful happening for a couple of days. So I took a full dose on Sunday at home, and I was just walking, wandering around the apartment doing some drawing, getting ready for a, a class that I had late in the week, and immediately the side effects hit within... 30 minutes of having taken the first dose. Um, the most noticeable one was spinning. You kind of feel like your head's spinning a bit and your brain feels a bit fuzzy. Um, there's some sexual side effects, which I would discover later um, when uh, enjoying some Morgan time. But the, the two that caught me off guard, which the first was spontaneous yawning. And it's not, it's not that you're tired. It's just that you keep yawning. And you're not getting any satisfaction from it. It's just this like weird, your body decided you need to yawn now. And all, now you need to yawn again. All that yawning talk made me yawn yesterday. Yeah, I'm sorry. For everyone who's listening, I apologize now. You're going to be yawning a lot. And don't take that to mean that you are uninterested in our fantastic podcast. It's because I'm going to be saying yawning like a lot. I, I, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, Morgan. Please. Sure, I'd love to know how I'm supposed to take this correctly. Okay. Uh, but once you say... <laughs> There were sexual side effects that I discovered later during private Morgan time. Sure. It, I want to know about that more than yawning. Oh, it's nothing terribly exciting. It's this sort of sexual side effects you expect with any sort of a medication. It was like, you know, um, all right, I'll be specific. Great. Everyone who's listening to this. Um, the sexual side effects for this particular medication were that you could get hard, but you couldn't come. Which is very frustrating because you're feeling all of the good feelings of like, I'm masturbating. This is great. I can't wait until I have release. That's not ever going to happen. It's just like, that's just, no, it's just, but you keep doing it, keep doing it and you don't go anywhere. I don't know how better to describe it than that. I imagine it would be like what having a cock ring is like, though I've never had one. But as I understand it, that's the purpose of a cock ring is to keep you from coming. I don't think that's the purpose of a cock ring. Okay. I could have been grossly misinformed about the purpose of a cock ring. It sounds like, Any you, it sounds like there was some there. gross misinformation. Okay. Yes. I apologize. Please feel free to... Let's go back to the interesting stuff, the okay. yawning. Um, so, no, the sexual side effects, whatever. Like, I knew that was not coming. I knew that was coming. But the yawning was weird. The other one that was weird was farting. Just <laughs> so much farting. Just every, every couple of minutes... And they weren't like they were they were bad farts. They were like there's something going wrong in my stomach farts. These were filling my apartment with such unpleasant memories. <laughs> that was Sunday. And that was not great. Another side effect that I was warned about was insomnia. And I, I didn't remember having had this side effect when I'd taken it years before. Um, but I certainly had it now because the way insomnia came was, first of all, I was still yawning and farting, but 
I was also this is great. I'm gonna stay up. Yeah, it's gonna keep me. Maybe maybe my farts will knock me out like some sort of chemical weapon. But no, what also happened was that it made me incredibly tense. The medication had me just tense and like for no reason, just incredibly anxious. And my fists were balled up really tight, and I was curled up in my bed, really really tightly curled up, and I couldn't relax or fall asleep. And I eventually just kind of wore myself out with only about four hours of sleep to get. How does this qualify as a medication that helps you? Great question. I don't know. So the second day on this, I take again a full dose, and it's Monday. And all of those, except for the sexual, I didn't jerk off on the subway, though that probably would have put me in the minority of people who have been on the New York subway system. I sat, I was very lucky I got a seat. Um, I was yawning constantly. I'm sure I looked like a crazy person. I was trying to hold my farts in because it's a crowded subway and I didn't want to be a monster, but I was having to let one go every 10, 15 minutes because you can only do that so much. Um, and during my commute, I was, and it was a very crowded, it's the M train. It's always super crowded. And I was texting a friend of mine in Australia who I chat with a lot and I was telling her about the medication. Um, in probably more frank detail than I probably should have. Probably the same level of detail that I'm giving all of you out there in the world. Um, now, here's the thing about me. I get really squeamish about anything involving my body. I pass out at people describing giving blood. I, The idea of having any sort of surgery, like, I have a really tough time with it. It's something that I, I struggle with a lot because as we get older, more and more stuff goes wrong. And that's a thing I'm going to have to face more and more. And it fills me with a lot of anxiety, not just the basic, like, I'm getting older, but also the I might have to have, like, gallstones removed, or I might have to have, like, a cancerous tumor worked on. Like, who knows what's coming? And as terrifying as those, some of those individual things are of themselves, cancer is terrifying, you know, anything like that, just having my body worked on is terrifying. So as I'm texting just about this medication... I'm thinking about it now and I'm thinking about, oh, it's definitely entered my bloodstream and it's coursing through me and I still don't know what else to expect from side effects. And that was making me more anxious and that was making me start to feel like I was going to pass out. So now I'm sitting on this train and my hearing's starting to go and I'm starting to get the cold sweats. I'm drenched in sweat. I can feel it coming off of my nose, off, down my brow. Um, I'm sure I was bleached white because my skin is freezing cold all of a sudden and my vision is starting to, to go white. And I'm just thinking to myself, just keep it together. Just keep it together. There's only a couple more stops. Just keep it together. You can do this. Just keep it together. And I'm, as I'm saying this to myself, I'm starting to crouch further and further down. And like I'm losing the ability to even to like I'm losing my balance. I'm losing my, my upright ability and still sweating, still pouring sweat. And I start doing the thing where I count down, where I just like 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Because I'm, if anxiety makes me ill, and if I think about the anxiety, it's just going to make it worse and worse and worse. So if I can only think about numbers, just counting down numbers, just blanking my mind of anything else except for those numbers, that can help. That can give me something to focus on and block everything out. And that's not really working. I can feel it really getting bad. And now I'm thinking, am I going to even make it to my next stop? I've... Am I going to just pass out on this train? Am I going to be that sick customer that blocks up the subway system? I've never felt as close to being in that situation as I was in that moment. 
And now I'm breathing. I'm doing this thing where I'm breathing out loud. I'm just going, just trying to control my breath, just anything to kind of keep this, keep myself together, just make it to the next stop. And people, I can feel the people on either side of me because it was a crowded train. It's kind of leaning away from this sicko, crazy person. And as I'm breathing out, as I'm counting down, I hear the doors bing and they open up and I look out across the platform and it's not my stop, but it's the express stop. And I just kind of stumble my way out of the train um, just to get some air, just to get someplace that's cooler where I'm not stifled by everybody else's heat just to get standing. So if things get really bad, I can at least run outside and find like help that way. So I'm not trapped on this train any longer. And um, it starts to pass. It starts to go away, and I start to come back to myself. I didn't throw up. I didn't poop myself. But I swore I was done with this medication. And you're not supposed to just go cold turkey. So the next day after that, I took half a dose. And then I waited two days, and then I took half a dose, and then I was done. And I haven't gone back to the psychologist, the psychiatrist yet. I'm sure she'll be very school marmishly frustrated at me for having just like gone off of it entirely. But that was bad, man. Just even though that, that nearly passing out probably wasn't directly related to it, it clearly wasn't helping my anxiety because an anti-anxiety medication should absolutely not make you so anxious that you almost pass out on a crowded subway platform or a train. Um, unless it's some sort of immersion therapy, which I don't think this was. Did you have side effects with the step-down doses? Uh, yes, but they weren't as bad. The farting was about half as bad, and the yawning was about half as much, and I was able to sleep a bit better. The sexual side effect didn't change at all. It still sucked. Um, but yeah, it got better as it... And then once it was on its way out of my system, it all more or less went away. So now it's been back to my normal squirrely anxious self, but at least I don't think I'm going to pass out. That actually, I almost passed out the, the day on that, the next day when I was on the half dose, just walking around the city too. Mm -hmm. And so that made me think like, maybe this is related. Um, I'm not really sure. It was weird. And, uh, yeah, it was a very unpleasant beginning to that week and I got nothing done. Um, I was so fuzzy minded while I was on it that I just, I couldn't, I just came home after work. Um, the whole day at work, I was like a bald fist and also farting everywhere, which I'm sure my coworkers were thrilled about. So I just came home at the end of the day and I just crashed on my couch and I didn't get any of my, like my drawing done or anything. So, and sleeping, being able to sleep in and of itself is as much as I struggle with anxiety and depression and all these things, I've sleeping has been something that like comes fairly naturally and I don't have to fight for. So to lose that was kind of a, a big loss. Well, it's also like very anxiety provoking insomnia. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. The later it gets, the more you worry about not getting enough sleep and then you get more anxious and it just becomes a, Every, you know. And everything's harder when you're tired. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my week. That's fun. It was yeah. super great. You should never take that again. No, I don't think I'm gonna. I was debating it. And I'm like, maybe I'll try it again this week. But now I'm like, reliving that story as I tell it, I'm like, no, that was horrible. And I, no. Yeah. You think you could have potentially that. build up a tolerance? I mean, I think that's the idea, but I don't, I mean, maybe, it, it, I didn't feel less anxious. So maybe with time, the anxiety would also go down. But 
I don't have time to go through that again <laughs> just to get to that point. So I, I mean, one thing that came out <laughs> as part of your story, like the sexual side effect, if it stops <laughs> you from coming, yeah, that is literally standing in the way of six billion years of evolution. Yeah. That doesn't seem like something you want to mess with. Maybe. I, I mean, mean like, nothing. And that's the thing. I think one of the reasons why I did get so in my head until I got squicked out to nearly passing out was all of this is against everything. Like, you're changing your brain's chemistry. You're changing. And it obviously isn't changing you as a person, but it's still changing with your well, and fundamental I, chemistry. And to be clear, I'm not like anti-drug. No, of course not. Anti, and neither am I. Anti-medicating, that sort of thing. Um but I think everybody's brain chemistry is kind of a fingerprint and you have to find what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and like you said, when it doesn't work, it super doesn't work. And that's scary when that happens. I mean, the sexual side effect, because I was familiar with that, that didn't weird me out so much as some of the other stuff. Um, anything that makes me like, and we've talked about this before, when things make me remind me of not just my mortality, but my biological nature like it, it's like this weird existential meltdown that happens where I just like, I don't know if it makes sense that like I start to pass out from existential dread, but it that's kind of what's happening. Wow, you are like the best existentialist. <laughs> oh, great! <laughs> I think I'm good at. You're so good at that. All right, that's my ping pong. Yeah, yeah. All right, I think that's uh, that's our episode for this week. Great. Right. Thanks for listening, and be sure and rate us on iTunes. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Thank you.